Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Wonderful, 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 wonderful. Good morning, good morning. Uh, if this is your first time here at City Collective, welcome. We're so glad that you're able to join us. Uh, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure what you think about this whole church or Jesus thing, you're welcome here. I hope that you've been greeted by a, a warm handshake, perhaps a hug. If it's a hug, I'm sorry, it's just kind of the thing that Christians do, I think. Um, just hugging on command, whether it is invited or not. But... <laughs> And uh, a cup of coffee out in the foyer. It's just a, it's a warm, happy place. If it has just been that so far this morning, I'm so glad that you're able to be here with us. Uh, this past week, we were blessed with five amazing stories from people within our church. And I heard that they were just like such a testimony of what God is doing in our church, in their lives. And I, can we just give it up for them one more time? Those five stories that were told. So much appreciation for, for them and, and their willingness to be vulnerable uh, and see how God has moved and shifted in their own lives and what that could mean for, for you and yours. Uh, this past weekend, I was in Wisconsin, and I wasn't in for any other reason than uh, I was told to be there. Uh, I, I was there for a leadership conference through our, our, the organization that we're part of, the denomination we're part of, and it was a great time. And let me tell you, cheese curds are a real thing in Wisconsin. Um, but cheese curds from the United States just don't really work for my stomach that's from Canada. So I tried it the first time and I never tried it again. So um, that's my testimony to you this morning about Wisconsin. Um, truth and vulnerability from the platform. <laughs> But we're really grateful that you're able to be here with us. Uh, we're, we just finished up a series called Boldness and Blessing where we were talking about what the vision is for the community. We talked about the idea of boldness being a place of obedience above all things. Boldness being our responsibility, but blessing being God's and seeing how that has functioned even within the stories that we told last week. Now, we are beginning a series here called uh, Final Words as we kind of walk Jesus to the cross going up to Easter. Uh, but as we were considering this series, uh, we, we consider the words of Jesus, and, and I believe that we need to talk about these things that Jesus says because they are impactful and they are meaningful. But here's the thing. If you don't think that the words of Jesus actually have any impact, then us talking about those final words don't really have a lot of impact. Um, so, so the question I want to be diving into just to kind of get this series off the ground is is what happens when we meet God before before even a word is spoken when you come you meet God you meet Jesus what happens and so this is the, the story that we're going to dive into uh, we're going to go into Luke oh, sorry John chapter 4 things going glitchy over here John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, I'm going to read the first couple verses, and I'm going to provide some context along the way. Are you with me? All right, let's go. We're in John chapter 4, and it says this. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go 
through Samaria. So to provide some context along the way with this passage, Jesus is needing to go from Judea to Galilee to clear up some issues, uh, and he's going to be taking a little bit of an unusual route. He's going through a town called Samaria, which could have been appalling to say the least to most Jews at the time. They would have actually completed, uh, completely avoided the Samaritans in Jesus's day. They would not have looked on or acknowledged, or they certainly wouldn't have done business with them or, or had a conversation or shared a meal with them. God forbid they even do any of those things, if not all of them, at some point. This is a people group that Jesus is coming across that were completely marginalized and avoided by the Jewish people. But even in this small decision that Jesus is taking of the routes that he is going on from one place to another, Jesus is reflecting very simply that he is for all people. Good tidings of great joy for all people. And this is set from even those little decisions. And, and even as I see Jesus make a small decision, the seemingly small decision, I'm confronted with this in my own life, is how many things, how many small decisions do I make within my own life which are conforming to societal or popular opinion and not reflecting the way or the heart of God and actually compromising the people that we're around. Small decisions matter, and Jesus recognizes this. So Jesus takes his 12 Jewish disciples to Samaria, and they're actually going to be spending about three days there, and so they would, have, they would have kind of known this, and this would have been unthinkable to these group of young men. And as they approach the outskirts of Samaria, they come upon this well. It's this famous well within the story of Israel, Jacob's well. Uh, it has deep historical meaning behind it, and then the boys, the, the disciples, they're sent on an errand to go get lunch. And as they exit, a woman arrives at the well. This is in the middle of the day. This is not at the primary time when people would have been coming to the well. But yet there is this one woman who does come at the same time as Jesus. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. And she actually has a reputation. She is known for specific things. She has identity issues. And she is carrying what we will learn is an apparent deep shame. But yet, Jesus breaks all cultural norms, and he engages in conversation. And the conversation goes increasingly intense, and Jesus essentially reads her mail and tells her what is going on. And at one point, Jesus says, go call your husband. And she says, ah, no, I, I, I don't have one. And Jesus says, yeah, you don't have one. You've had five, and the sixth you're not married to right now. And she's like, whoa. You're a prophet. And he's like, oh, a little bit more than that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she diverts the conversation to, to worship because she doesn't want to deal with her, with her real issues. Um, and isn't that interesting how that we can divert conversations to good things because we don't want to actually deal with the real things. But this is what she does at this moment. She doesn't want to deal with the real issues. So she deals with, she's like, I'm talking to a prophet. I'm talking to a man of God. I'm going to, have to, I'm going to present some theological, some, some high-minded ideas and issues. And I'm going to present that. And Jesus responds with a profound response. And he kind of crosses all the T's, dots all the I's. And she's like, okay, this is the Messiah. It could be the Messiah who's going to come. And, and, and he could, could be it. And Jesus is like, ta-da. I'm right here. 
And she's having this moment of realization and revelation that this just might be God. The promised man. And, and it's the one that she's been waiting for her entire life. But in this moment, the 12 disciples, they now return from going to go get some lunch. And they come and they probably see Jesus standing with this Samaritan woman. And, and they're not particularly happy about this. Why is he even having a conversation? And they're probably assuming that he's been talking to her for a while. Because that's what Jesus does. He just talks to people for long periods of time. He's not, he's not a, a shallow conversation kind of individual. And so they would have not been particularly happy. And so she sees them they see her she exits the conversation but she exits with a sense of excitement and a joy but let's be honest there was probably a little bit of fear even associated with 10 12 sorry Jewish men approaching her and that you know don't want her to be there in the first place she heads back into town into Samaria and starts telling people her testimony and this is what it says we're going to jump all the way to verse 29 it says she says come see a man who told me everything I ever did could this be the Messiah and this was her testimony can this be the Christ Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then we fast forward to verse 39. And it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And this, this testimony of such simple truth with such boldness transformed the lives of so many around her. And John would like to emphasize that the woman's testimony, he emphasizes it twice over. Because right away it's interesting. Told me all that I ever did. I don't know if I want someone telling me that. It doesn't seem like that would be the story that I would want to be sharing with everybody around. This woman who went to the well in the middle of the day because she didn't want to be around everyone else in that moment. This woman that had experienced rejection from her own people and from the Jewish people that had never really seen a sense of acceptance in her story comes and says that her testimony is that this guy told me all that I ever did. You got to come meet him. Doesn't really make sense. Doesn't really compute in this moment. And then verse 42, it says, We no longer believe just because of what you said. They said this to the woman. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So what happens? What happens when you meet God? And I want to zero in on the, te the testimony of this woman. This woman who's below average in her lifestyle. This woman who's believed to be below average in her morality. Who encounters Jesus and meets God with skin on. And she runs into town, gives her testimony and says, come and see a man who tells me all that I've ever done. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this morning, for all that you have in your story. I pray that this is not just words on a page, but it is life within our bones. That it moves us closer to you, to the purposes and to the plans that you have in store for each person in this room. Let this be more than simply ideas and thoughts, but something that grabs hold of our very hearts and souls and draws us into your unending goodness. Help us have a good time this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so my question for you to get us going is, did you have a, a childhood hero of some sort growing up? Someone that you, 
Like if you ran into them, you'd be a little bit excited. So if, if some of you say Justin Bieber, that's fine. I didn't, I'm not going to say Justin Bieber, though I think that would be pretty cool. I've got like ideas of how that would go now, but I won't share that one. Um, it'd, it'd be like a duet. Yeah. So um, <laughs> there's my person that I was like, my guy growing up, Jerome Aginla, was the man, the myth, the legend, hockey player for your Calgary Flames by default because you're a city collective. Um, <laughs> the man with the thunder thighs and the, the, the beautiful smile. Yeah. Childhood hero. I had a lot of love for Jerome McGinla. Um, so we, uh, we just, we're, we're just coming upon, we just passed actually, the anniversary of the 10 uh, anniversary of the 2010 Olympics gold medal hockey game. Do we all kind of remember this to some degree? Vancouver 2010, let me paint the scene for you. Canada is up on the Americans. It looks like this is in the bag. The Americans start pushing really hard at the end. Shot goes on net. Rebound from Luongo. Dang Luongo. Then Parise takes the puck around, dumps it into the open cage. Everyone in the crowd is devastated. It's a difficult moment. Go, it goes into overtime. I don't know what they said in that locker room, but they came out hard. They came out flying. And then Scott Niedermeyer, left side of the ice, gives the puck away. Shot on net. Luongo, good Luongo. Big save. Big save. <laughs> Thinks about freezing the puck. Shuffles the puck over. Here's Niedermeyer call for it. Niedermeyer goes around the net. Crosby's going down the wing. He gets hit with the pass going down the wing. Crosby sees four on one. He's like, I'm the man, the myth, the legend, Sidney Crosby. I'm going to go for it. So he goes four on one. It doesn't go so well. It doesn't go the way he expected. So four people converge on him. He loses the puck. The puck goes into the corner and starts to ring around the sideboards. Crosby goes and starts to chase it. He chips it up the sideboards. It hits the skate of one of the linesmen. What's going on? The puck hits the skate. The skate. It slows down. It doesn't go exactly where he wanted. But you know who shows up? Jerome Aginla. <laughs> Jerome Aginla shows up and Crosby sees Iggy get to, the get, get to the puck, cuts to the net, calls one name, Iggy, Iggy, Iggy. Jerome passes the puck, diving to send that pass. And Crosby doesn't go classic Crosby. He doesn't go forehand, backhand. No, he just goes straight through the wickets. Ryan Miller, devastated, country on its feet, celebration, gold medal. Record number of gold medals for Canada in the 2010 Olympics. Pretty amazing. Yeah. It's probably like the one thing I didn't rehearse for this sermon because it's just in my soul. It's just, it's just right there, to be honest. Jerome McGinley, big moment. And you know what? I have a deep tie to Jerome McGinley because 10 years prior to that 10-year prior moment, um, I had a moment in Calgary where I saw him in, in a store and I had dreamed of this moment. What was I going to do when I meet Jerome again? I was like, we're going to be friends. I bet he has, he's way older than me, so I got to be friends with his son. Okay, I got to figure this out. And I see him across the room. And I, I like start to approach him. And I'm like really nervous. My heart's beating really fast in that moment. As you can tell, I really like Jerome again. So I see him and, and I like kind of like semi-wave. And he kind of like looks at me, but he's not looking at me. And I put my hand down really slowly, and he's looking at someone behind me. And I'm like, uh-oh. 
<laughs> I don't know what to do in this moment. And you know what? It was maybe one of the most awkward moments of my life as I continued to walk towards Romaginla and just keep walking past and heartbreaking. I know. I know. I forgave him because we won the gold medal. That's the, that was the main reason. Would have really forgiven him if we won a Stanley Cup, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> devastating. Not what I expected. I was like, I'm going to have the perfect thing to say in that moment. I'm going to meet Iggy. I'm going to have like this perfect line. I know the rap from the 2004 Stanley Cup finals run that I can probably drop on him. And he'll be like, whoa, this guy's really cool. Um, I was so ready to, to, to say something. But it did not go as expected. When you meet someone that you have all these thoughts and ideas around and it doesn't go as expected, it, it can be a little bit jarring. I think you felt it for me in that moment. Perhaps you were just really kind. <laughs> but uh, sometimes, I think when it comes to, to faith in Jesus uh, and, and loving Jesus and the idea of Christianity as it's called, I wonder if sometimes if we have concepts and thoughts and ideas and knowledge and information about Jesus and we've got these ideas of what it would be like to actually meet him. But I wonder if we, when we met Jesus, if you would be a little bit like me and just incredibly awkward. Not really sure what to say, what to do. All of the, the ideas and plans, they just kind of start imploding and exploding all over your mind. And you don't know what to do. You freeze and it doesn't go as expected. I wonder if sometimes when it comes to our Christianity... That we have all these ideas and we, these thoughts and these concepts that we have actually substituted the ideas and the thoughts of Christianity with the idea and the thought of actually having a relationship with Jesus. And, and I, I would contend that we have almost tricked ourselves into believing that knowing about Jesus is the same as, as actually meeting Jesus. But the truth is that when you read the narrative of the, of the Bible, and it, this becomes abundantly clear, that we are not to settle merely for ideas and concepts and plans and knowledge or philosophies about Jesus, but we're invited to, in fact, meet him, to know him, to walk with him, to, to talk with him, to have an actual relationship with him. And we must establish that God is radically and emphatically focused on having a relationship with humanity. Because, come on church, uh, God became man in the form of Jesus. He put on skin and bones. God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood is the language that Eugene Peterson uses. God was so passionate about you and I that he moved into our cul-de-sac. Have you ever moved before? This is a commitment. This is an intentional process that was taken, taken by God. That we're called to, know, to do more than just know him, but we're called to meet him. But yet, instead of pursuing a life with God, we're more fixated on our fulfillments of, of ideas and thoughts and, and philosophies that kind of just make us feel like we've got it put together. I've got an idea how this works. 
and we've substituted knowing God with simply having information about him. And, and to be honest, it's this puzzling trend that we wouldn't accept about ourselves. If someone had a full debrief on everything in your life, if they knew everything about you, would you say that they really know you? When, the, when things went crazy in your life, would you contact the person who has all the information about you because they really know you? Or would you contact the person with the deep, meaningful relationship with because you know that they know you but yet this is how we treat our relationship with God we would not accept that for ourselves but this is how we treat our relationship with God often it was always relationship the endeavor of Jesus in the world was never simply good thoughts and information one of the reasons why I love the book of John is that John carries this narrative all the way through. It's the same kind of passion about relationships. It's a unique gospel written from a relational point of view in a relational context. John writes to reveal Jesus from one particular perspective, and that is that Jesus is the son, that he's the son of the living God. And he invites us to have that same relationship with the father. John, the disciple, invites the readers to have the same relational connection and intimacy that he shared with Jesus this is the invitation we're given so when you're reading this gospel he seems to be how can I say um, a little mushy a little warm like if you're a romantic you probably are going to enjoy the book of John if you like to cuddle you'll probably love the book of John and Forgive me for being perhaps a little crass, but John invites us to cuddle with Jesus. He invites there to be some intimacy. Not just looking at each other from a distance. He wants to be right up in it. And what this story that we are just kind of breaking down in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well leads me to believe is that we can actually meet God and it's not just about knowing things, it's about meeting them. And we see this in the scene by the well. Jesus seems to be so relational. He seems to be so intentional and compassionate and long-suffering because he is and, and he wants a friendship and he wants a relationship with the centerpiece of his creation, with humanity. And there by the well, he engages with a woman that he shouldn't have. That he's broken cultural norms. He's stepped outside of what would have been considered right. A woman who had a less than quote-unquote moral lifestyle. And yes, this is what culture had to say about her actually. But the God of the universe is not so swayed by cultural constructions of you and I. There are things that culture says about you that are only true to them but are not true to God. But we are so often prone to take the ideas of culture and impose them on ourselves, rather than hearing the constant stirring voice of God that wants us to hear the names that he calls us. This is God in flesh. This is Jesus who in the ultimate act of empathy and not simply sympathetic, empathetic, comes down and experiences life and struggle and pain and, and what it means to be human alongside us. And, and this woman 
he comes up and he wants to have a relationship. But let's be honest, we know this right off the bat. She is a relational nightmare. Relational dysfunction with a capital D. And here comes Jesus, a relational God, to establish a connection with a woman when it comes to a connection that hasn't had much strength before. This woman is often characterized in really degrading terms. A woman of ill repute. This was the reputation of the woman in this community, and it was the way that she was viewed, and it was the way that she was treated. But yet when she met Jesus, she encountered something completely different. When we meet God, when we meet Jesus, we encounter something completely different. And he brings all the truth, brings all the truth she can handle. Because you see that within the culture, she was painted in such a manner. And sometimes when I've heard the story talked about and, and preached on and, and, and opened up, she's not really given much grace even by us as, as Christians here and now. But here's the thing that you need to recognize about the culture in that time and day. The woman had no authority to actually divorce within a relationship. This woman, who had been divorced five times, had never had the authority to actually do it herself. So, this was a woman who had only experienced rejection her entire life. At every single moment where she had sought connection, all she had found was rejection. And yet society and culture painted her as the woman of ill repute, as a harlot, as someone that was morally degraded. So you can imagine she comes to this well and she's only experienced rejection whenever she's put herself out there. And then Jesus comes in this relational God and he wants to build a connection and he starts to have this conversation with her. And she's putting up walls all over the place, uh, uh, high-minded walls, thought walls. She, she, she doesn't really want to engage because she doesn't want to experience rejection all over again. And then Jesus starts to reveal himself to her. And she starts to come to this conclusion that this is the relationship that I have craved for my entire life. She has just met God and her mind is now exploding. She had more ideas and assumptions about Jesus than I had about Jerome McGinley. Well, the Messiah will come and, and he will do this. And, 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 and she can't really see the, the, the tree in the midst of the forest. She can't see that Jesus is like, I'm, I'm right here. All the things that you're talking about, all the means in which you're trying to distract yourself from, all of these elements that you're putting in place, I am right here. But she never expected to see a God, to see a Messiah who looks like this. And here's the challenge I think we face today. Sometimes we are like, I don't know where God is. I can't see God. I can't feel God. I don't know if I'll ever meet God. And the problem is that we are only trying to meet the God that we have in our own box of what we think God is. She tries to outline 
all the ways in that she thought the Messiah would be. And Jesus is like, I'm right here. And I think that's sometimes what we face. We say, God is this, God is this, God is this, God is this, God is this. And Jesus is right in front of us in our story. And he's like, I'm right here right now. Take a look. Just see me. Get out of, out of up here and just see where I'm looking at you right here. Because he wants to have a relationship with you. Sometimes we don't even have the ability to connect with God because we don't believe that God wants to connect with us. What happens when we meet God? Because for this woman, it starts to change everything. And she runs into town with a skip in her step and, and a sparkle in her eye. And she tells everyone and says, come see a man who told... Me, everything about myself. Doesn't make sense. Because he didn't even just say, like, everything about her. The things that the author mentions are all the things that she probably carried shame around. And she goes from that moment running into town and saying, he's amazing. But he just aired her dirty laundry. Who did you talk to? Who do you know? It was my third husband. You on his bowling team? Like, he's, he's the gossip. How do you hear about this stuff? It's often our response when we run into a situation like that. And isn't it amazing her life was changed? But then the question is how? How was her life changed? Jesus must have given her a word of knowledge, something really powerful, something really profound, right? Well... He gives her a word of knowledge, but he just kind of just outlines all the things that were really difficult in her life. But everything did change. Let me tell you what happens. If we go back to John chapter 1, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is talking about Jesus. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Grace and and truth. So when he came, his glory came, his essence came. How is it that Jesus meets her at the well and then he tells her the truth? Everyone says, I want to keep it real. But Jesus keeps it awkwardly real in this moment. It's like Jesus, tone it down a bit. <laughs> How does he speak so much truth and yet this woman runs in a fit of passion and of romance and of hope and of faith and she finally finally believe that she isn't doomed to the track record of her reputation. Why? She didn't just encounter truth in that moment. She encountered the fullness of Jesus, which is both truth and grace. What happens when we meet God? We encounter truth and grace. Now I want to say something about grace and truth in scripture. If you start Picking apart grace and truth, you will find yourself falling into error. There are they are distinct, yes, but they are inseparable in the person of Jesus. Can you separate Jesus? No. And you cannot separate then grace and truth. In fact, in the New Testament, anytime that you see the words grace or truth, you can go ahead and assume that it couples both grace and truth when one is mentioned. And it speaks ultimately of, of a person, and that person is Jesus. You can't separate grace and truth. For, for instance, what is grace? 
without truth. Grace cannot be extended until the establishment of truth around what is going on. Grace without truth becomes a little greasy. It becomes a little side deal done under less savory circumstances where God is like this guy saying, uh, I, oh, I, di I didn't see that, okay? Let, let's pretend. I, I mean, um, if I saw that, I, I'd have to judge that, but um, I'm going to act like I didn't see that. You act like you didn't do it. We're good. I won't even tell the angels. Grace becomes greasy without truth. Now, God knows exactly what you and I have done. And yet, there is always grace for you. There is always grace for me. Grace can only be grace when there is an establishment of truth. And what is the ultimate truth? It is the transcendent revelation of God's gift in Jesus Christ. So grace and truth are always together. And from his fullness we receive infinite grace through Jesus. Truth without grace is condemnation. And grace without truth, grace with truth is the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about. I bet you people had told her similar things. This is guy number six. What are you doing? She ain't running into the town trying to tell everybody else to go meet them. It's because this was not simply truth. And sometimes as, as followers of Jesus and as people just on this planet, we feel like truth is just keeping it real. And, and we, we'll, we'll say something like, the, the truth shall set you free. And we drop a bomb on someone. Just doing what, what I'm told. I should speak my mind. I should tell the truth. But truth without grace is condemnation. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're not coupling grace with your truth, then you're actually not providing grace that is found within the heart of God. Not found, providing truth that is found within the heart of God. And, and there's, a, there's a truth that we have to be aware of in our own reality, that you and I, um, perhaps you're going to have a, an amazing supernatural moment, but in general, you and I are not going to have a physical, tangible meet-up with Jesus at some well. But this is why Jesus says it's better that he left. And that I leave you, and I send you my spirit. Because no longer is it just like this physical, tangible connection in a moment. It's the spirit of God that actually speaks to the very inner being of all that we are. And we talked about this in November. The Holy Spirit can be romanticized and dramatized and made to be really crazy and emotional. When in reality, the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to Jesus. So we get to meet Jesus because Jesus wants to meet us, and he sent the Spirit to make it so. 
The Spirit comes to reveal Jesus, and in him the glory of God is seen on the earth, and he's going to teach you, and he's going to train you, and he's going to work within you. And though physical Jesus isn't maybe going to meet you at your well specifically, the Spirit will meet you wherever you are. Because that's what that well is in that moment. It's wherever she was. It's where she went to hide. She had to go get something done, but she didn't want people around to see it. She was dealing with her shame, but she didn't want people to see it. That was her well. What is your well? Where do you go that, so that no one else can be around and you don't have to have to deal with the reality of the real issues that you're carrying and struggling with? Because that is the place where the Spirit is right at your well. It's this beautiful story where the Holy Spirit wants to come meet you right where you are. Not simply to condemn you, but to build you up and to build an incredible relationship that will lead you to a place of discovering the grace that you need to move you into the life that you are destined to have. Let's invite the worship team back up right now. We're going to wrap things up and... Uh, have communion as, as a group here this, this morning. What happens when you meet God? You meet the fullness of, of grace and truth. You, you don't experience condemnation, but you will likely experience a sense of conviction. This, this need and this desire to do something that maybe you never thought you could do. I find it fascinating that sometimes we, we get so anxious around the idea of telling other people about God or about Jesus. And I don't think we actually have like an evangelism problem. I think that we actually have a meeting God problem. Because what does this woman do? She doesn't have a playbook. She didn't go to a conference. She didn't read a book. She didn't know exactly what to do. She goes and just says, hey... This guy told me everything about me. You should go meet him. Because this is what happens when you meet God. You are actually pushed into a place of discomfort. From that place of discomfort, we're actually led to a place of action. And from that place of action, we get a, a real sense of purpose. This woman... She would have never run into the town and said, hear my story, come meet this guy, if she didn't meet God. As, as, a, as a church, as a community, sometimes we can go get so fixated on simply just doing the right thing. And I think it is wonderful to be active in our faith, to be, to be leaning into all the great things that God invites us into in the world that we're invited to be part of. But at the heart of it, we cannot do it on our own. If you are tired and heavy burdened, come to me and you will find rest. It's not just about knowing who Jesus is. It's not just about reading a book. It's not just about memorizing. And if you do those things, great. I think that's wonderful. But ultimately, have you met Jesus? Because he wants to meet with you. And not just to read your mail and make you feel bad about yourself. 
actually for you to experience the grace and truth that you have been searching for your entire life. I need it. Every day I need it. And I believe that every person on this planet needs it as well. Needs an encounter to meet with Jesus. That's why we pay attention. That's why we listen. That's why we, we dive into this book. It's why we listen to his words. Because when we meet Jesus, everything changes. Joel. Have you met Jesus or is it simply an idea up in the sky that feels like a good thought? You're not going to just change or shift because of willpower. But we're invited to listen to the, to the Holy Spirit and seek to do more than know God but to meet God. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? We're just going to pray. I just pray that, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would just start to nudge you and let you know that He wants to meet you. That the constructions of culture and society and, and maybe even church are not who He says that you are. He wants you to hear it from Him. And you're carrying shame in some area of your life. But you know what shame does? It deconstructs our worth. Because shame teaches us something. Shame teaches you that you are what you do. But shame is not truth. Grace is the most transcendent truth. Grace says that you are, that who you are is not based on what you do. It is based on what has been done by God through Jesus Christ. So will we meet God this morning? Father, I pray for every person in this room. That wherever they are carrying this weight of, of perhaps shame, of, of uncertainty, that it would not just simply be ideas that are nice that we receive here this morning, but it is actually an encounter with the living God, with you, Jesus, to meet you, this relational God, and experience the fullness of grace and truth unlike anything we have ever experienced. Because when we meet you, everything changes. So we come before you humbly and we say, do what only you can do within our hearts this morning. Even as we partake in communion, I pray that you would speak specifically to individuals in this room. And just give them this amazing sense of peace that could only come from you. A sense of joy that could only come from you. A sense of overcoming that could only come from you. Because there is so much that is being carried in this room this morning. So much that is going on that it can only take a touch from you to change it all. Thank you for being so willing to meet us where we're at. We invite you into this place. We invite you into our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, 
please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.